The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Um, you know, if you're like me, uh, Jesus got a hold of my life somewhere along the way, and He changed my life. My life has been forever different since I had an encounter with Jesus. I believed his word to be true. I accepted his offer and his promise, and he, he changed my life. And when he did, he gave me a new beginning. He gave me a fresh start. He put me really into a family. That's one thing I discovered about the church. It really is, in fact, a family. And we, he puts us into this family of believers. And uh, if you're not in the family, you don't know what that means. But then when you enter into the family and you get to see the love of God through God's people, begin to share in all kinds of dimensions of real fellowship, real family, and the Bible says he puts orphans into families, and God's been doing that for 2,000 years, but he gives you a sense of calling and purpose and family, and it's absolutely amazing, but if you're like me, uh, you've realized that along the way in this journey with Jesus, somewhere along the way, there's these seasons where you might find yourself in some sort of drift. Has anybody ever noticed themselves in a spiritual drift in their walk. Okay, I want to talk to you today about that drift because drift can happen when you don't even realize that there's any drift going on. I mean, people don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I got a good idea. This week, I'm just going to drift from the Lord. Uh, it's not what happens, but drift, in fact, happens when we don't even know it's happening sometimes. Uh, I know that's happened in my life. In fact, the first time I learned even about drift, I wasn't a believer. I was a little kid, New York City. Our family would go to Jersey, Jersey Shore, because that was the only place that had clean beaches that weren't polluted like New York. So we would go to the Jersey Shore, and we would swim, and they had these big waves. And I remember a little kid, I was probably 10, I go out into the water, and these big waves are coming in. And then eventually, when I come up out of the water after getting beat up for a while, I come to the shore, and I, I don't recognize anyone in our group. And I'm a little kid, and I'm like, Wait a second. So I walk down the coast about 50 yards, and I don't recognize anyone. And I'm walking up the coast about 50 yards the other way, and I'm not recognizing them. And finally, about 60 yards up there, I saw people in our group, and I'm like, my goodness, how is it that I went out in the water, and I came out all the way down, way down the shore? It was crazy. I learned about ocean drift the hard way. I learned that if you don't have your feet on the ground, if you're not focused on something in front of you, you often have no idea that you're even drifting. And I learned that the hard way, literally physically, in an ocean of drift. And I also realized in my own life, in my own walk with the Lord, I noticed there were seasons where I too got into a spiritual drift, a spiritual drift. And spiritual drift can happen to any one of us. I trust some of you in the room have been through seasons of spiritual drift. We don't ask for it. We don't sign up for it. We don't like it, and yet it happens. Today, I want to look at how it happens, why it happens, and what you and I can do to avoid spiritual drift, literally drifting from God. We're going to look at a story of Peter today, and we're picking up in Matthew. If you guys have your Bible, we're going to roll through this at a pretty good pace because we got a later start this morning. Uh, but this is some really powerful stuff, and I want to encourage you to take some notes either in your bulletin or in your phone because this stuff will keep you locked and in focus with the Lord. And if, if you miss some of these key things, 
you will find yourself in a drift and you might not know why. Um, there was a time in my life years ago, uh, I was strong in the faith, I was reading my word, I was in fellowship. I mean, I'm serving God, everything was really great. But um, some family members of mine wanted to go uh, over to Ireland, so I figured, hey, I want to do that. So I, I joined me and my family, went over to Ireland, and I'm over there for, <clears throat> I don't know, about two and a half weeks. And I wasn't in any kind of fellowship. Now, I brought my Bible with me, and this is kind of hard to explain, but any of you who have been in a season of spiritual drift, it's really hard to explain. It's hard to sometimes connect the dots or say, here's why I'm in a spiritual drift. How many of you know that it's a spiritual war going on for your soul and for your life? And that's why you can't always explain it. Sometimes there's a spiritual war to it, and you're not seeing the war for what the war really is. Uh, but I went over to Ireland and uh, no fellowship over there, no other believers. I'm even trying to share faith with people and they're like, you know, uh, I'm not making a lot of progress, but I'm trying to. And, and pretty soon, the, the only place that people meet to talk with one another, if you've ever been over there, is at the pub, at the pub, as they say. So they get together at the pub and they have a pint of Guinness and that's, this is the only place you'll meet people. And it's like, so this is what is going on in Ireland. And I realize that as time's going on, I can't even tell you why, but my faith is losing steam kind of day by day. Again, I didn't plan it. I didn't ask for it. I'm just telling you what happened. I came back to the States, and I figured, you know what? I'm not, I don't even feel like going to church today. I just, you know, so I, I skipped it, and I skipped the next week. And I'm just telling you, at this point in time, I am a completely different kind of person than I was two months earlier. Do you see what's happening here? I, I'm not putting my finger on it distinctly. I'm just telling you what happened. You may have had seasons in your life where you're not putting your finger on it, but it happened. And maybe you're here today where you're in a spiritual drift and you haven't put your finger on it, but it happened. We're going to see Peter today. He maybe didn't put his finger on it, but it happened. And we're going to look what happened. But what happened to me, I got back and after a few weeks, I had friends calling me and they said, bro, you're back. What's going on? And we haven't seen you. And to be honest with you, I, di I didn't really f feel like answering the phone calls. I don't know why. I just got into this kind of a spiritual drift, hard to put my finger on. And then I remember the church was having this big picnic over here, Woodley Park, with music and everything like that. And I'm like, there wasn't a bone in my body that wanted to go. And I, even my language started to change. And I actually said, you know how you speak to yourself? You know, you have your own conversation. I said, I don't really feel like being around those people. Have you ever said that, honestly? Come on. I never would have said that a month earlier. And I'm like, what, what is going on with me? And I'll tell you what's going on. The enemy, the devil, who goes around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour who he may, uses schemes and methods and mechanisms to separate us from God's people. Do you know that? A house divided doesn't stand. When the devil first showed up on the scene, Garden of Eden, he didn't approach Adam and Eve together. He approached Eve alone. It works better that way. The devil does what he can to divide. He's always tried to divide. He always has these mechanisms to separate us and get us off track, to get us into some form of spiritual drift. And I will have to say, looking back at that season of my life, there was clearly a spiritual drift. I don't know what was going on, but if it kept up, I would have walked away from the faith and every form of fellowship we know. I didn't ask for it, but it was happening. So when people have spiritual drift, it doesn't have to be any kind of 
blatant sin. It could be sin. It doesn't have to be sin. But what it is, guys, is a disassociation from Jesus and his family. It's a disassociation. Would you say that word with me? Disassociation. That's what the devil wants to do. If he can't take your faith from you or me, the best thing he can do is to disassociate us somehow, some way, with Jesus and his family. And I put that together because in the early church, they were devoted to Jesus. And you know what it looked like? Here's what it looked like. They were devoted to, devoted to the apostles. First of all, they were devoted to getting together on the first day of the week, Sunday. Devoted, 2,000 years. Devoted, not optional, maybe, if I feel it. No, devoted. This is how they, 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 they met with Jesus. Through the apostles' teaching, through fellowship, through the breaking of bread, and through prayer, these were the things that surrounded their Sunday commitment and so much of the other life in midweek revolved around that connection, that central point. And when they had that, unlike being in the ocean and drifting and not having your feet on the ground, having that, they always had a place to lock in. They always had perspective. They always had a place of other people around them that saying, hey, I miss you, I care about you, I didn't see you last week. And people don't get into spiritual drift, but if we don't have these things, uh, it happens. But the devil has been forever trying to get God's people disassociated with him by getting us disassociated with uh, one another. So anyway, guys, Matthew, actually, there's one scripture I want to share with you really quick. Matthew 26 is where we're going. If you have your Bible, you can open up to that. Here's, a, here's kind of a summary of what we're looking at today in scripture, and we're seeing it modeled by Peter himself. A lot for us to learn from it. Hebrews 2 chapter 1 says this. There's one thing you remember today. Let it be this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Peter is talking to Christians. He's not talking to a bunch of secular humanists here. He's not talking to a bunch of philosophers He's talking to Jesus people, people who love God, who love his word, who are uh, in fellowship. And he's saying, guys, be careful because drifting away can happen and it can happen to any one of us. And a lot of us would like to think, well, not me. (laughs) I'm not drifting away. I'm beyond that. I'm not drifting anywhere. Yeah, that's what Peter thought too. Uh, That's what many have thought. And the reason this is a big burden to me is you probably know people in your life that have drifted away. Does anybody know anyone in the room? Show of hands. And you know what? It breaks my heart because they were in the faith walk and I don't know what happened, but somehow the devil got in. Somehow there was a disassociation from God's family and eventually a disassociation from God. And we look around later and go, what happened to them? Paul talks about them. What happened? You were running a race. What happened? Who cut in on you? Who cut you off? You know, when you're running a marathon, everyone's in this group, they're running, but it's almost like the devil opens up a side street and says, here, go this way, and somebody cut you off, and all of a sudden you're not even with the group, not even running the race with everybody. The devil has been relentless trying to disassociate God's people uh, from from his family. Uh, Matthew 26, uh, if we jump in here, we're going to... Look at this. We're going to look at uh, last, last time we got together, two weeks ago we covered this, and we looked at um, the Passover meal, and we just left out the section with Peter because today we're focusing on Peter in this, in this sequence. So Matthew 26, and let's follow along. Verse 31 says this. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So Peter is sure, sure, he will never fall away from Jesus. Never, never, never. He's positive and he promises that he won't ever, ever fall away from Jesus. And all the disciples say the same thing. We, Jesus, will never, ever slip and fall away from you. It's not going to happen. And so uh, it says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you, are, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's, again, written to the New Testament church. Why? Because we think sometimes I'm good. Nothing's happening to me. I got my faith down. I'm stable. I'm not going anywhere. Just what Peter said, just what the apostle said, and yet... How many of you guys know it's only by God's grace in the first place that we're here, right? It's only by God's grace. And so the point is, what happens if we start thinking this way, we get very self-sufficient. We get very self-sufficient. Like, I can pull this faith off. I'm managing it pretty good now. I kind of got it down. I got my rhythm down, and I'm good. And and we stop. We start doing some of the things that Peter starts doing. And we're going to see the sequence that Peter begins to take And these are the steps of drifting from God. And again, I want to encourage you to write these down because they're powerful and they are profound. And there is a sequence to falling away and drifting from God, to getting into spiritual drift in your life and in my life. This applies to me as much as it does to you. Last week, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says this in verse 38 of that passage. We covered it at length two weeks ago, so I don't want to cover the Garden of Gethsemane in length. Uh, but we cover this passage at length. And it said in verse 38 that Jesus himself was sorrowful and troubled. And listen, he was overwhelmed, overwhelmed to the point of death. That's not a picture you normally see of Jesus. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's loving people, forgiving people. He's teaching people. But at this point, he's sorrowful, troubled, overwhelmed to the point of death. And here's a couple of takeaways from last week that were really key. When we get entirely overwhelmed, because you and I will as well in life, when we get entirely overwhelmed, do what Jesus did, and it said that he went a little further and he prayed. Doesn't matter what he felt like, even though he was overwhelmed, he still went a little further and prayed. When you're overwhelmed, you're not really looking down the road, you don't have a lot of vision. When you and I are going through it, we think of the immediate, the weight of it, how difficult things are, whatever that might be. Jesus was completely overwhelmed and sorrowful to the point of death. We are going to be tempted in every way. Uh, he was tempted in every way that we are, the Bible says. When Jesus was in this place of being overwhelmed, at least, at least do this one thing, go a little further and pray. There's some that don't. There's some that don't because of the weight. They don't go a little further and pray. And this begins their drift. Their drift begins right there. Because of the weight they're carrying, and it is weight, and it does hurt, and they don't like it, and they didn't sign up for it. 
but they're carrying this weight. In life, you will have sorrows. There's troubles in life. There are tribulations. But in the way, Jesus models for them, go a little further and pray. Some don't take that step. And then Jesus prayed, Father, I want this trial to go away, but, but I want your will more than I want the trial to go away. That's what Jesus modeled for us last week. And one profound thing he said, and this started the entire drift process, this is what started the entire drift process, is he ends up telling the disciples, listen guys, it's so important right now, disciples, recognize the times. This is a season, this is a time, this is a moment where you absolutely need to be awake and prayerful. And they're like, I got you. I hear you, Jesus. I got you. And they just had a Passover meal, which was like a big turkey meal, and they're all in a coma, food a coma, just like sleeping in the park. And he's like, guys, 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 if you have any idea what's going on right now, what's actually happening right now, you need to be wide awake. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, we, we get it. We will. We're, we're with you. We're going to pray with you. And they, they keep passing out and falling asleep. And Jesus is like, guys, you have no idea what is about to happen and you're not seeing it, you're not sensing it, and you're not clocking it. And the reason they're not seeing it, and the reason they're not sensing it, and the reason they're not clocking it, the reason is that they were not praying. The Bible equates prayer to watchfulness. Would you say that? The Bible equates prayer to, they go hand in hand. So you and I think we're seeing stuff, and we think we got a handle on what's going around, and if we're not praying, we absolutely do not. We do not know what's going on. We do not understand the seasons. We don't know where we're at in God's time. We're kind of clueless and checked out as much as we think we are. That's why he's saying if you think you're standing strong, be careful lest you fall. The Bible says be prayerful and watchful, and it equates prayerfulness and watchfulness over and over and over again. Jesus came back and said, guys, you've got to pray. You've got to be watchful, please, now more than ever, and they keep falling asleep. And he goes, wakes him up and goes, guys, listen, I'm waking you up. Please lock with me for a minute. He said, can I ask you to stand watch for one hour? Everyone say one hour. He's like, one hour, guys. I'm asking for one hour. Can you give me one hour of prayer and be watchful? Yeah, sure, Jesus. And they're out again. And Jesus is in the most tormented time of his life in this pain and this sorrow of knowing what's about to come. And the disciples are clueless to what's really going on, and they're asleep while Jesus' attackers are rolling up on him, literally walking in on him with clubs and lanterns. And these guys are asleep. Why? Because they're not praying. Do you see it? Do you see their spiritual drift? It's because they're not praying. So our first step this morning, if you want to understand how spiritual drift happens in their lives, in Peter's lives, and in our lives as well, the first point is this. The drift begins when we get spiritually sleepy and lose the priority of prayer. That's where the drift begins. Again, the Bible equates prayerfulness and watchfulness. And when we get spiritually sleepy, no matter what, go a little further and pray. Don't pray because you feel like it. Pray because you need to. Pray because you need to press into spiritual things. Make your prayers and requests known to God. Ask Him things. Request things. Listen for His voice. But get together with God, it is imperative, uh, especially um, always in life. It's a discipline of a Christian. In fact, that's what disciple means. It means we follow the disciplines of Jesus. And this is one of the disciplines Jesus taught us. When we don't function in this discipline, 
we begin our spiritual drift. And by the way, Friday, we have an all-church prayer and fast this Friday. And I want to encourage you guys, if you fast, at least skip a meal. If you can't skip a meal, we'll just come and pray. But it's going to go from noon till midnight. So anybody and everyone can find a window of time. You can find a window of time somewhere in your, di- in your day, afternoon, evening, on the way out to dinner, or maybe come and pray and then go out to dinner, I don't know, or going on a date, pray first and then go on a date, uh, whatever you might be doing on a Friday night. But um, come and pray for an hour. Some of you come for longer, and it's pretty amazing, but God does profound things as we come and we pray. We'll pray for you, for your needs. We'll pray for the city, pray for the church. Uh, but I believe we're living in times, too, where Jesus is like, would you be on watch with me, please, for an hour? There's things going on. Jesus is like, would you be prayerful and watchful? And we don't want to just be checked out, past the remote, past the popcorn, and binge on Netflix and miss some of the stuff that's going on. Does that make sense, guys? That's important. So um, anyway, the chief priests come in this passage, the chief priests and the elders, and they come with a large crowd with swords and clubs we covered last uh, time we talked about this. Judas walks up, kissed Jesus' cheek, betrayed with a kiss, and then they seize Jesus and arrest him. And this is where it picks up uh, again, if you would follow along with me in verse 57. It says, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled, but Peter followed him at a distance. Right up to the courtyard of the high priest, he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. So they arrest Jesus. They bring him into this mock trial, this nighttime trial. Uh, From what we know about things historically, you don't do these late last minute mock trials. And it's against the Jewish law, by the way, even if they had a trial and made a decision, you can never make a decision of death in the same time that you meet. The law required, you have to come back on a completely different day, days later, to actually see prayerfully, are we in the same place? Did somebody create some kind of violation to that degree? You can't just have a meeting in the middle of the night with half the people and uh, say, yeah, crucify him. So this is a mock trial. Uh, It's not even uh, what they're really allowed to do. But in this process where they have Jesus, it says Peter is following at a a distance, following at a distance. how many of you know the Bible, call, well, we refer to our, our walk with Jesus as a walk with Jesus, right? It's called a walk with Jesus. The Bible says to stay in step with the Holy Spirit, right? There's this, there's this spiritual picture of literally walking with Christ. And people say, I've been walking with Christ this long. That's what it's referred to. All of a sudden right here, we're going to see the demise of Peter in this passage. And how many of you know God's in the restoration business, thank God? So no matter what the slip is, no matter what the fall is, no matter what the drift is, God's in the restoration business, and that's the beauty of this. But we're going to see the demise of Peter, and we need to see it for what it is, because his demise can be our demise. And his demise is probably the demise of some that you know in your life, that we're walking strong, and you look around, what happened to them? I wouldn't doubt some of these things applied to them as, as well. So our second point this morning is spiritual drift happens, spiritual drift happens when we follow at a distance, follow at a distance. Um, It's one thing to be intentional and walk with Jesus. It's one thing to get up in the morning, have a devotion with Jesus, say, God, I love you, thank you for the day. Spend some time in his word and say, here goes, I'm going to work, let me represent you well. And you're walking with Jesus. Another thing to say, yeah, I don't really do that anymore. 
and, and, we, and I don't really do that anymore, and I don't really go to church and meet with the family. I don't really do those things anymore, and, I don't, and all of a sudden, this may be unintentional. I don't think Peter got up this morning and said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to drift from Jesus today. He didn't say that. In fact, he said the opposite. I will never drift from you, and yet he is drifting from Jesus. His first step was that he was spiritual sleepy and not praying, and he did not discern what was about to come. That's the first step is not being prayerful and watchful. His second step, I'm going to follow, but I'm just going to be chill. I'm going to be like way back here. Go ahead, Jesus. You go down there. I'm just going to be way, way, way back here. So begin to follow the distance. And, and this is where it begins. Yeah, I, I still believe. I, don't get me wrong. I, still, I believe in God. The Bible says the demons even believe in God and shudder. So just believing in God, that's, that's a great place to start. But that's not a walk with Jesus, Amen. Believing in God is not a walk with Jesus. Peter begins to follow at a distance, and this is where his demise continues. Second step, spiritual drift happens when we follow at a distance. And here's the third point, guys. Drift becomes easier, it's much easier to drift, when we start traveling alone without other solid believers. When we start traveling alone, Jesus always sent them out in twos. Uh, Two were better than one, the Bible's there, because one one someone falls, the other one's there to pick them up. We encourage each other. We fan each other in the flame. We remind each other. You know, if I'm off in my life, I need people around me to say, you know what, Pastor B, I hear you, but think about this. And you go, you know what, you're right. Thank you. We need to do this. We help each other. We encourage. We fan each other in the flame. But the point is, you start walking alone. You start walking alone, and that can be a slippery slope. Not an intentional one, but a slippery slope. Peter is walking alone in this passage right here. And uh, this is not a good place to go. So when a believer starts to break fellowship, I'm not saying intentionally, say like I'm not going to church anymore, just break fellowship. Not hanging out with other believers intentionally. Um, How many of you know that Christians are like fish and we become the climate of the water that we swim in? You know that? Certain fish, if you heat up the, the water, the fish adapts to that temperature. You cool the water. It becomes that same. We are the same way. We get on fire when we're around people that are on fire. And we get watered down and cooled way, way, way down when we're around people that are in those circles. And that's why it's critical that you and I uh, don't travel alone. Don't ever travel alone. So that's his third point this way. And now the other gospels, when you look at the other gospels, by the way, this story uh, is in all four of the gospels, which is remarkable. Some stories are covered in some and not the others. But this is in all four uh, of the Gospels. And it says the next thing Peter did in the other Gospels, it says this right now, it says what this one says, but it elaborates on a key fact that I think we need to bring to light. It says the next thing that Peter did, listen, is he, he began to warm himself by their fire. He began to warm himself by their fire. These guys are bad guys. Everyone say bad guys. you saying, why are you calling them bad guys, Pastor B? They're just a bunch of guards. No, they're a bunch of guards who want to kill Jesus. You see that? These are the guards that just went with clubs and swords and grabbed Jesus, threw him into a meeting, and they're going to haul him off to Pilate in a minute. These are bad guys. These guys are against Jesus. These guys are anti-Christ. That's who they are. And Peter, spiritually sleeping, not praying, has no idea of the time, the season, or anything. Misses out completely. 
Oh, what's going on? Oh, they're taking Jesus. Oh, missed that one. Yep, missed that one, all right. And then Jesus goes, and I'm just going to be way back here. I'm going to follow from a real distance. Now he's following from a distance. Seems to be traveling alone, at least according to this passage right here. And then the next thing we see, the next thing we see is that he's warming himself by the enemy's fire. You got to know that in your life, it's great for you to share faith with everyone. I don't care how broken people are or what kind of state their world is in. But it doesn't mean that becomes your fellowship, amen? That can't be your fellowship. Jesus never made that his fellowship. He went up, rolled up on anyone. He didn't care if they're drunks, prostitutes, it didn't matter. He loved them, he encouraged them, but then he said, you know what? God's got a way better life for you, and it's this way. Follow me. And he said, come this way. He didn't stay there and make that his fellowship, and anyone who thinks that needs to read the Gospels again. So the fourth point this morning is drift continues. The drift continues when we warm ourselves by the enemy's fire. When we warm ourselves by the enemy's fire. What is the enemy's fire? What would that be in your life? What would that be in my life? That is a place where you know you just don't belong. Have you ever been in a place and you go, yeah, I don't think I belong here? Anything, party, anything? Come on, honesty in God says right. You just go, yeah, at this point, maybe the party's going sideways. You're like, at this point, I think it's time for me to bounce, right? It's a place where you know you just don't belong. And the spirit inside of you is going, you know, that's one thing you were trying to outreach and now you're outnumbered and you're there alone and you're not even with twos and, and, and things are about to start going more south by the minute and you know that and you don't want to stay and warm yourself by the enemy's fire because the enemy's like, I'm taking this group this way and, and you're not going to pull everybody back necessarily. And you just have to pray about what that is. I don't want to be legalistic or give you the guidelines of what that is. But the point is, you know when you're going in strong and you're sharing faith and your witnesses, and you know when you're becoming, their influence is overflowing on you. And so that's really what's going on here. Um, so don't warm yourself by uh, the enemy's fire. That's really important. In fact, there are some really cool points on this as well. Uh, but we're not going to have time today because we got a late start today. Uh, so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Um, but I want to pray, guys. I want to pray... Uh, for us in our lives, that, that, we, that we would understand the pathway to drift, to spiritual drift, that we don't ever wake up saying, I'm going to drift from God. In fact, we say the opposite, just like Peter and just like the disciples. Me? Uh-uh. I'm never going to drift. And I was solid in the faith, and I caught myself drifting. I didn't catch it right away. I didn't even figure out what it is. And I'm like, what happened to me? And looking back, I can say it was like a dark cloud over my life where the enemy almost took me out. I didn't know it when I was in it, but looking back, I can tell you that's what it is. The enemy is ruthless, excuse me, ruthless at trying to separate us from his word, from his ways, from his people, from his spirit, from his community, from scripture, from the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the apostles teaching and prayer, any way he can divisively to disassociate us with King Jesus in his ways, he will do that. And that's where he begins with this association. So my prayer for us, is the worship team coming up? Um, my prayer for us, guys, is that we, we recognize this. And if you have people in your life like I do, there's some people, I am brokenhearted over certain people. I, I have some friends, I try reaching out to them. A couple, I don't even have their contact. I've been looking for them, trying to find them. I just know they stopped. They were running such a good race. And like Paul told the Galatians, you were running such a good race, who cut in on you? Like who, who actually stuck out their foot and tripped you? 
because you were running a good race. What happened? And with the Galatians, apparently they were running a race, and somebody did. I think the devil did, because he's the only one who wants to trip those that are running the race, right? And I don't know what happened, but they tripped, and some, for some reason they didn't get back up and get in the race. And it breaks my heart for those people. And I trust you have friends and family who also were running a race, and they're not in the race right now. I trust that they're going to wake up, and God's going to wake them up. But I believe today, when we look at this passage, the beautiful thing about this passage, we're going to see Jesus show us what to do. Jesus is going to show you and me what to do when somebody does drift spiritually and drift from God. And Jesus is going to personally go back, we're going to see later on, and engage them eye to eye and say, listen, I'm restoring you right here, right now on the spot. Yesterday died last night. I forgive you for all that. It's a fresh start. Come on, walk with me. And, and, and let's, let's pick up the pieces and let's move on together in my power and in my love. God is in that business. But listen, I believe he wants to use you. Listen, he wants to use you to call people back into his race. Amen? He wants to use you to call people back into his family. And you know which people I'm talking about. And I don't think there's maybe anybody in their life calling them out, encouraging them, not beating them up, not condemning them. Jesus didn't when he... After Peter went through this, and we didn't even finish what Peter did, but after Jesus, Peter went through this, Jesus didn't condemn him. He just came and loved him back to Jesus, loved him back to the, to the family. And, and I believe God wants to use you to do the same. So I want us to pray right now. Um, and we're going to pray if any of us have any of this components of drift going on in our life. But listen, I want us to pray for people you know and I know who actually have started some sort of spiritual drift. And maybe they're still not back. And God's calling them back. And I believe he wants to use you to even prophesy. Yes, prophesy. Prophesy is to speak the heart of God into somebody's life. It's not complicated. You don't need to be an apostle or some kind. Just like God, what is your heart for this brother or sister of mine? What is your heart for them, God? It's not going to be condemnation. It's going to be lovingly calling back into God's family. And, and I believe he wants to use us in the room to call his people back into love relationship because he's in the restoration business when we slip. Amen? Please stand with me right now. And we're going to just ask God to steal, seal some of these things in our, in our heart this morning. Um, so mighty God, we, just, we come before you. We thank you. We praise you for your word, the power of it. Lord, we, when, we, when we look at the disciples, we relate so much because they kind of do the, the dumb things that we would do. They make some great moves and some powerful, bold moves. And then they, they do some dumb things. And we're like, yeah, we kind of do the same thing, God. So we relate to Christ followers 2,000 years ago. And Peter did something here. I'm sure he regretted. He swore he never would do it, but he did it anyway. And uh, Lord, you're in the restoration business. I just pray, uh, Lord, right now for any in this room right now that are in a spiritual uh, drift in any kind of way, God, that today would be a commitment of rededication to you, God, to you, your ways, your family, your word, to prayer, the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship and prayer, we would get back to what the early church was devoted to, God. There would be no disassociation in this family in Jesus' name. We pray against any disassociation in God's people in Jesus' name. We know a house divided doesn't stand. We stand with you and we stand united in Christ this morning. That's our declaration, God. I also just pray this morning for, uh, for, for those we know, and I just pray if... Uh, for every one of us in this room right now, you would just put somebody on our heart, at least one person, God, one or more, put someone on our heart 
and you love them and you want to call the orphans back to family. You want to call people back into a love relationship with you. And yes, they hit some speed bumps along the way. They went through some things. Maybe someone cut them off. Maybe they got tripped. Maybe they got, their heart got hardened along the way. Maybe there was an expectation that was not met. Uh, maybe somebody mistreated them in some kind of way. Or maybe the enemy just came in and overtook them in some kind of way where sin just started to overwhelm their life. But God, I pray for those right now. I pray right now, God, you begin to wake them up. Even as we pray for them right now, you begin to move in their hearts, God. You begin to shake them and wake them and let them hear your loving voice loud and clear that you're calling them back. Lord, and you would follow up on that with us. Show us to pick up the phone, to shoot them a text, to sit down and meet with them if we can, to look them in the eyes and say, look, I love you and God loves you and he wants to love you back. He wants to love you back into calling and purpose and a hope in the future. He wants to love you back into his family. He wants to get you back in the race. This is not a time to be sleeping. This is a time to be prayerful and watchful. This is the time to make the most of your opportunities. It's not a time to be checked out. It's not a time to say, I'm fine. I believe in God. That's not going to get it done. You got to walk with Jesus and he's calling you back into an intimate walk with him. Lord, I pray we would all represent you in these ways and know the people that you put on our heart, we would engage them even this week, maybe even today, and you begin to turn around things in glorious ways for those and that we would have amazing praise reports. And maybe some would even come here and say, you guys prayed for me that week. And then someone called me and God called me back in the family and I'm here today because of that. Thank you, God. I believe that's your heart. I believe it's your will. And I pray we walk it out by faith. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen, God. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.